Hey, hey, birding friends. Today we get into a bird that a lot of people in the U.S. are very familiar with, the Northern Cardinal. I grew up seeing these in my backyard almost every day, and it's even the state bird of seven different states. It turns out that they weren't always as widespread as they are today, and as recent as 100 years ago, they may not have even been in the Chicago area. And, although they are all over much of the U.S. today, they aren't common in other countries, and even Canada, where Shannon is from. I think we sometimes take them for granted, and forget how beautiful and striking their red color is to someone who doesn't see them every day. What is it exactly that makes them that color? Is it diet? The way they digest certain things? Shannon and John explain this to us in the episode, so you won't want to miss it. Okay, let's jump in. Welcome back, everyone. This is RJ, Amanda, and I'm with John and Shannon, as always. Thank you for listening. Um, and today we're going to talk about a bird that's a little more common to everybody you'd see in your backyard a lot, and we're going to talk about the northern cardinal. You don't see your cardinals in your backyard if you grew up in British Columbia. Okay. Which is why the, seeing a cardinal was, was one of the most exciting things yeah, I've ever seen in Shannon, my life. that was your, your spark bird, right? It totally, what got you it into, totally was. It caused yeah. me to ask someone to stop a car on a very busy road so I could get out and see it. <laughs> and well, we've yeah. always enjoyed when, when people come from Africa or, or South America how excited they are to see cardinals. Mm. So they, they really are an interesting thing. And the amazing thing is in Chicago is they actually weren't here in in the 1920s. They were actually oh. rare in the Chicago area. And wow. so it's a bird that has a southern distribution in the North America that's gradually been moving north. And so they're, they may show up in British Columbia eventually. That's maybe. In, yeah. There are times now when I wish they'd be quiet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Us too. Us <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're not as, not as noisy as robins. <laughs> no. Maybe not as early as robins. Robins are perplexing to me because what is that male robin thinking they're doing at three in the morning? Oh, yeah. exactly. Just waking everybody up. I don't know. Is, does your offer of assassinating our robin still stand? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 yeah, but, the, but in the cardinals too, though, they'll get up and they're, they're you know, they're quite territorial and, and the males – in the, at least in the breeding season, and the males will will set up their territories pretty early on. There can be still be snow on the ground. I like to think of them as an, another one of these birds that, boy, once the once the weather tart starts to turn in the spring, they're going to start singing and setting up their territories. Mm-hmm. And so they'll scare off other other cardinals. They're territorial, and they'll I, they'll look at themselves yeah. in the window actually and try to fight themselves. Right? Yeah. They're yeah. Super, I mean, once once the hormones yeah. start going, and yeah. and they're looking to. I mean, I love the way females look differently from the males. I think the females are really elegant, and they're different mm-hmm. enough that people have trouble putting them in the same species sometimes, mm-hmm. right? So, and so I just – there are not that many pinks in birds, and mm-hmm. female cardinals have tinged with pink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like so, it. So one of the interesting yeah. things about cardinals, too, is that the females actually sing from time to time, mm-hmm. and that's something that's – Researchers are actually beginning to look at more and more as these situations where where females may actually have maybe an additional role in the territoriality that, that uh, once the pair is formed then then people realize it's a and and because most female songbirds they don't sing right it's it's that more of a it's so so that's that's a I, I guess what I would say is depending on who you're talking to if they're interested in researching this they would probably say. We just haven't looked very clearly. Oh, okay. Well, and there's a difference between vocalizing to people like that and singing. So mm-hmm. those, you know, female birds vocalize, mm-hmm. but 
the, the whole concept of singing, and I imagine that's a it's a fine line between what you call some of these things context dependent as well. Yeah, but I think you know one of the neat things about cardinals is they're pretty ubiquitous across most of North America, and so because of that, people are seeing them, and then when you see a female setting up and singing, it's it's something you can notice. And is their call similar? Does it sound the same as the male? I've never really differentiated the two. So, I, I... so, so that's an interesting question in the sense that I think it sounds basically the same. It's certainly got the same framework. My guess is that if you look at the details of that song through a, a spectrogram, they're probably diagnosably different, okay. and, and that the, there's. I think the male. I like. I would have described it as the times I've heard females singing, they don't seem to be singing quite as loudly, and I've actually feel like I've gotten to the point where every once in a while I'll hear a bird and going. I wonder if that's a female, just because it's not quite as loud or as persistent as um, as the yeah. But it, but I don't. I don't think we really know necessarily what the purpose is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which is, you know, interesting for such a common bird. Yeah. Hey, John, how many cardinals do we have in the Field Museum's collections? I'm going to say... Pressure's on. You were off by a lot with... 1,200. <laughs> you know, you're a lot closer. There's 1,336 cataloged Ooh. ones. Wow. And 408 of them are from Illinois. Mm. Nice. So... When you look at even a bird as common as cardinal, it seems like we have a lot, and we might we oh, well, we do compared to some other collections because of our salvage program. If you still wanted to look at geographic variation across sexes across the annual cycle, including juveniles, um, trying to understand molt patterns, there's not enough of them in collections to no. to do a study like that. Birds have. These birds that have really broad distributions ending up, end up being really patchily sampled. And so, you know, what sounds like a lot to people doesn't sound like a lot to biologists. Oh, yeah. It's all about variation. Yeah. Um, and you need to have numbers of individuals to understand variation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. And you mentioned how they weren't native to Illinois originally and kind of how they worked their way up. What has kind of driven them to expand? I mean, is it humans or their feeders? So... so that's a one of those that's a great question so so possibly it's it's a gradually warming climate and they would have started a lot earlier than a lot of the concern associated with climate change because but at the same time i think that 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 it's very likely related and and some of it also may be land use change too hmm. and so i think you know they they clearly have adapted to uh cities fields uh uh agriculture mm-hmm. um and i think that's allowed them to expand too okay yeah. the, huh. i was going to our friend Diane gave us a book called slow birding and it's about, oh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, and it's really good what, what we've mm-hmm. read so far. But the author theorizes um, just the importance of bird feeders, like because I yeah. think good, yeah. yeah, really good point, yeah. So that's yep, and and a lot of that's probably driven mostly by the the, the winter, you know, so they can survive the winter, and if that's true, then then they so can persist you, if, in areas. If you yeah. get a bit of seed and the weather is a bit warmer, then it's worth risking. Staying because migrating is risky. Mm-hmm. It's a very uh, and, it's a time of vulnerability mm-hmm. for death. And so. cardinals are 
probably one of the least migratory passerines I can think of in, in North America and the grand scheme of things. Like I don't think of them as migrating. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they do some interesting things. So I've looked out our back window, I think sometime in the late fall and had five or six male cardinals in the in the yard. So clearly when the breeding season's over, fall, winter comes, they're looking for places where they can find feed. You may get you know, territoriality breaks down and you may get a whole bunch of birds hanging out at least briefly in areas where there's a lot of seed. So coming back to the feeder thing, that can absolutely be a factor for them and it's helping them survive and they're not worried about each other at that time of right. year. So whatever they're whatever's happening to them at the beginning of the breeding season when they're so territorial, even with their own image in a in a plate glass window, they clearly when the hormones the breeding hormones are gone down, they don't still maintain that level of territoriality oh, wow. throughout the year. I, w- I will tell you when when you're out banding birds, yeah. they are one of the most difficult birds to capture yeah. because that bill is once they get in the mist net and you pull them out, they know how to use that bill oh, and it does not feel good. Oh gosh, <laughs> and, and I had one bite me at the the whatever that part, the fleshy the part, the yeah. web between your finger and your thumb, and oh. yeah. So they're they're and they don't let go. They don't care if you're screaming either. Oh like, gosh, <laughs> you made me go in a mist net. You take me out of the mist net. I make you pay. <laughs> how do you trap them when you're going to ban them? So you. Yeah, with, these things called yeah. mist nets. Okay. Um, so, which are mist? They're nets mm-hmm. that have have fairly small holes. They are strung between two poles, and there's kind of pouches in the nest. And then, then uh, the net itself is fine enough that the birds don't see it easily. Okay. And so, when they're just doing their business, if you put the nest the net in the right place, they'll just fly in. They fall into the little pouch. You take them out and okay. a band on them. Okay. Because um, they're so quick, I would think it would be a tough thing to catch. Yeah, some birds are smarter than others Yeah. Okay. when it comes to avoiding <laughs> mist Cardinals nets. are not so much? Well, <laughs> no, I, I would not. I don't think, yeah. How smart House are sparrows are the smartest I've ever seen oh. of avoiding, uh, avoiding mist nets. They learn right away, and they're like, ha-ha, you think oh. you're going to capture me? <laughs> It doesn't matter that I'm one of the most common birds in the world. You're not capturing me because I'm smart and I see that net and I'm going to go over it, not <laughs> yeah. into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Well, you talked about how cardinals will get like into groups and in, um, kind of in the winter, but I thought like the way that they pair up, it sounds really interesting. Like, you know, when they're breeding and how they kind of pick their partner and they pick a nest together and it sounds like the male will go out and bring sticks back to the female and she'll put it together. Like, I thought that whole process was really interesting. And like, I don't know, don't they like present like, oh, do you want the stick? And she'll say no, and he'll drop it and bring something else. (laughs) I mean, it sounded like people finding an apartment or something. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I, 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 more and more, I wonder what details we don't know about, like the ubiquity of some of those things and, and whether or not you could actually have a pair where, they literally didn't care about that, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's again, I it bothers me. Anthropomorphism is something I never like to try to delve into. And yet, at the same time, I think those are perfect examples of where we see things happening, and there may be norms. And then one of the questions I have is like, 
how codified is that and why? You know, mm-hmm. is, it, is it literally that building that pair bond literally requires those birds to do that every single time? Or is it, you know, can you? I would say it's more like if I reject this and you get me another one, I like you. Oh. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to try, to try out your commitment to this relationship. Those are these fascinating questions. Where <laughs> how, you know, how, how do you test that? Yeah. And, and it's. It, I mean, but, so is it species specific and stereotyped, or what kind of variability is there? Is there? And most birds are not watched when they nest, um, and it can be for obvious reasons, really hard to find birds' nests. That's mm. not in their best interest that you right. or the blue jay that's following you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> find their nests. Yeah. It's, this is not what their goal is not to be noticeable on their nest. Mm-hmm. So um, so it's you really – and collecting nests has gone out of fashion. That used to be really common in the early 1900s to – collect nests, and that's where most of the nests that are in the field museum's collections come from that time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's no observation of the bird building that nest. We just have the physical manifestation of a nesting attempt in, in a nest. And they'll get a new nest every season, right? They never return? It's, it's, no, and, and, the, I, and the one thing I They'll also nest multiple times in a season. Oh wow! So they'll, they'll, they can have second nestings if the first nest doesn't come through. Mm. You know, in, in the yard right now, we've and we it seems like I see this every couple of years. Is there's a male cardinal right now that's being pursued by a juvenile brown-headed cowbird, and so mm. clearly there was a pair that had not young in the neighborhood, and the nest got parasitized, and they've got a fledgling brown-headed cowbird that they're that's traveling around. I think once the eggs hatch, the other thing that happens is as the as the chicks get older and fledge, then they split up with the with the pair and and you can get one set of birds uh, with fledglings with the male and one with the female. Oh wow. This is a neat thing. Oh. And and again, what the vagaries are in terms of individual variation of parents in that respect is a really fascinating thing and cardinals are you can often see the juveniles running around chasing the the adults uh, once once fledglings have, are out there. Oh wow! Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Huh. And so, how long does it take the juveniles to get that full red color if you're a male, or you know, I mean? Oh, that's a yeah. So so there's another thing where Shannon was pointing out where collections can be really useful because you mm-hmm. you begin to see that you could lay them out by date and begin to look at some of that. I want to say that you see these funky redder birds uh, in late fall. Okay. And, and it, again, it has to do with the molt cycles and, and, mm-hmm. and things. And, and then, Is there yeah. geographic variation in the molt cycles? Because cardinals take up a large swath of hot and not so hot environments. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, 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 I think the quick answer is no, but... but Someone knows that. That's a knowable what, what thing. Would, what would it take to, to change all that? Hmm. That's, I mean, there's... Yeah, I mean, one of the things I love about the Birds of North America, and actually it was the Birds of North America series, but it's now incorporated into the Birds of the World um, uh, uh, website that, that Cornell uh, operates, is you can go in and look at that, and they'll have these annual cycles when they know it, which have when the birds are molting, when they're breeding, 
and when they're migrating. Okay. And so that's an interesting one with Cardinal because, again, they aren't migrating. Mm-hmm. So that can, if you're not doing migration, that may actually allow you to have a much more flexible molt cycle mm-hmm. than, than uh, yeah. I'm sure people know that. I yep. just don't. Okay. <laughs> and so what gives it that bright red? I mean, I, we talked a little bit about colors, I think, on an earlier episode, but I'm just yeah. kind of curious. I know diet can have something to do with yeah, that. Yeah, so I mean, the reds and yellows are carotenoid pigments. So okay. there's actual dye in dye inside of the feathers that produce reds and yellows. And red, usually there's kind of a couple ways you can be red. You can be red because you turned a yellow fruit. So this comes from the diet, usually fruits and seeds. You can turn a yellow fruit or a yellow um, pigment into a red pigment. Mm -hmm. And that takes enzymatic activity and um, chemical reactions inside of the bird to do that. So that's a pretty energy demanding thing to turn yellow to bright red. But so is it digesting that yellow fruit differently than a you know, a different it's bird having would... chemical modifications to the yellow fruit okay. that allow it to be red, and then it deposits the red in the feathers. Oh, wow. wow. You can get also eating red things. Red berries can give you red. And so this is one of the rabbit holes I went down because I knew a little bit about this, but it was it became really fascinating to me in the middle of the night. Some of the <laughs> really interesting work that's being done, part, some of it's being done by a, a professor at Auburn named Jeff Hill, who's written a book about coloration and is well known for his work on coloration. But so the question is, what is red signal? There's variation in red. We've been part of a, one of our fellow graduate students when uh, was a master's student, and she asked us to rank the brightness of cardinals, for example, and then we look at mating success and other aspects, parasitization, depending on how bright you are. So, and human, you can do this. And now we can do it with spectrophotometers. We can actually measure the difference in um, brightness of, of the red. And so what is red signa- signaling? Because it takes a lot of energy to turn yellow into red. So if you can do that, you're a bright male, you might be brighter, and that might signify that you're fitter mm-hmm. than males that aren't quite as bright. Mm-hmm. And so there's two innovations, and th- and you might signify that you have a better immune system if you're bright. So th- these are hypotheses that have been around for a long time. But what's new to some of this is what, you know, is there a difference between red that comes from the berries that are red versus red that you synthesize? And the answer is yes. Oh, wow. The, 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 you have more um, mating success if you're the male that is bright, not because you ate red things, but you, because you turned yellow things into red. Wow. So that is a, it's like an honest signal of the quality of a male. But on top of that, though, what happens is Females have to make a choice because it also turns out that the males that are brightest help the least at the nest. So you have to, you know, what's happening is the females making choice about where they're going to compromise, right, with not helping so much at the nest or being having good genes from that perspective, which is just really interesting to me, these kinds of things. And then the, one of the latest things that we're starting to understand is that the carotenoid 
work. There's antioxidants that carotenoids provide antioxidants, and that happens in the mitochondria. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of energy issues that happen in the that's the energy part of your cell is these organelles called mitochondria. So you really are signaling that you have good metabolic genes too that you can turn that you're this red, the advanced amounts of red um, that are in some of these birds shows that they, you know, their mitochondria are pretty good. Mm-hmm. And that means they're going to maybe get less cancers. They have better antioxidant properties. They can clean up free radicals better. Um, all the things that antioxidants do that birds that are brighter red may do that better. So there's lots of ways you can signal your quality. And then the female has to decide if the red is worth it. Yeah. Um, And it it reminds me of what you've talked about before, Shannon, about just like sometimes you like pretty things. Like, (laughs) (laughs) even if they don't help around the nest. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, I think with cardinals, one of the interesting things is, is it's obviously the, the red on the, the plumage, but then there's the orange in the bill and the black in the face. And, and so, you know, there are these other features that, may play roles too. And so, you know, again, it, these these are complex questions to try yeah. to look into. A lot of the work on carotenoids has been done in um, house finches, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, have a lot of differences in red, but they're, some of the newest work has been done in different birds that are red too. So it's not just, it's not just house finches that okay. have had these studies of red. It's completely, I mean, you look and you're saying, okay, well, it's red. So but there's so much being, there's lots of different pigments that are red and birds make red in different, lots of different ways mm-hmm. as well. Uh, the genomic and genetic controls of these things, the developmental controls of mm-hmm. And you do, you do occasionally get male cardinals that are yellow. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, so, well, so whatever enzyme yeah. pathway turns it from yellow to red is not working in those yeah. individuals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, does that bird have any mating success? The answer is Possibly not. And then how much, I mean, so now if they're eating from feeders and they're relying, you know, a lot on like humans to feed them, I mean, should people be concerned about what type of feed they're putting out there? Could that have an effect on their, you know, the way that they're coloring? We would have to capture birds that feed, well, we'd have to band them and know that this is a bird that spends a lot of time at feeders Mm -hmm. and then measure their color. Mm. Um, that's not so easy, yeah. but no. it's an interesting question yeah. for sure. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, I mean, I you know, for instance, in the winter in southern Wisconsin, they're spending an awful lot of time hanging around the edges of cornfields, mm-hmm. and I don't know what the carotenoid concentration is in in corn, but mm-hmm. it may not be particularly good for producing the red coloration that cardinals have, and and you know, th- those are those are those are well, winter in Wisconsin is tough. Yeah. <laughs> you got, for me, I think there's particular. a lot of corn for them to eat. So yeah. I, like, I'm not hanging around cornfields. I'm in my house with a heating pad and <laughs> several blankets. All right. Well, I think that might be a good point to stop. Um, we do have one mailbag question this week. So this is from Toby in Three Rivers, Michigan. He says, I love hearing morning doves nearby, but whenever I move close enough to see them do their call, they stop talking. Are they shy? Do they think I'm a threat? 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> they are shy and they think you're a threat. <laughs> Morning doves are not my favorite. I think no. they whine. I can't stand really? this. Oh. Stop whining. <laughs> John does not like that. He doesn't mind them. But I, they, I don't know that that hooing just like, just shut up. Go away. <laughs> oh, see, I find it like n- nostalgic. I don't yes. know. For some reason, it reminds me when I was younger, I could hear them. And yes. whenever I hear that, it's kind of like a soothing, like, reminds me of summer uh, a little bit. You're a better bit. person than I. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean, the, the, yeah, they aren't particularly shy. I mean, oh. certainly the ones at our feeder have gotten very used to the fact that we're around. and But they do leave. Well, they'll often we go up the at the last second. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah. But they I, come back. Yeah. They're not, <laughs> they're not dumb. They're, yeah. they're, they're, I watched them sit at a peanut feeder and have one bird – Put away forty-two peanuts at a, at a at a single sitting, and they've got this crop that they can eventually use to grind all that up. So they're yeah. like, they, they, they're very we happy. Charge an entrance fee to the backyard. Yeah, we were, That's yeah, a lot of yeah. dollars. We were talking about cardinals liking feeders. Morning doves clearly benefit too. Oh, okay. Respect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We at the barbecue we were at on the Fourth of July. Our friend Alyssa was saying. Morning does like if you grow up in this area, it's kind of like the sound of your childhood, and it's so true. Yeah. Sorry, maybe Shannon. that's why I don't like them because they're not the sound of my childhood. So, so have you noticed the the little display flights that they do? They'll, no, they, no. They, so so oftentimes when you hear them calling, that's a male displaying for a female. I'm not sure I fully understand territoriality or what constitutes that in in morning doves because they 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 can be pretty dense in an area but but they definitely do these display flights where they'll they'll make a loop and and i assume the female's watching that i think that might be a good spot to wrap it up john you want to close it out yeah so the cardinals uh not a particularly great baseball organization, but some of our best friends might disagree with that. People are turning it off. <laughs> yeah, and, and people who are Cubs fans should not throw stones at people who are Cardinals yes, fans. Yes. <laughs> but our Cub would take on that Cardinal any day. Oh, totally. <laughs> All right. Thanks, I think everyone. They've both for... been a little bit of a loser. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. All right. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and thank you to Earhole Studios in Chicago for hooking us up with a place to record. We thank them for their help. If you have a question for John, Shannon, Amanda, and I, feel free to send it to podcast.birdsofafeather at gmail.com. This week we discussed a bird that many people are familiar with, but next week we'll talk about a bird that is a little more unknown, the oil bird. This bird lives in caves in South America and uses echolocation to fly around at night like a bat. You won't want to miss this episode. Tune in next week to hear more. All right, thanks everyone for listening. <laughs>